Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padamaro in game, and Hats on Lamps. It's episode 75 this week, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast, and our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. And this week, we have a special episode. We've all been waiting for it. Um, set 9.5 is over. Set 1 is over. We have huge draft changes this week, so... We decided we're going to talk about sealed. And uh, to help us do that this week, we don't have hats, but I have two very special guests, Tyler Cheney or John Avon in game. Hello, Tyler. Hey, how you doing? And Beard Broken, who's uh, known as Beard Broken in game. Okay. Yeah, hello, everyone. So, uh, well, let's get right into it because we have a lot to talk about this week. So... Uh, Beard Broken, how has your draft week been with the the new changes? So I've been doing a bit of the, uh, I guess, the early uh, draft changes, bot packs, drafty stuff. Just a lot of rares, a lot lot of legendaries, a lot of really silly but entertaining games. I had a uh, 5-3 Hoover deck with stuff like Helio and I think a Roland Merciless, just some other silly stuff. A few co-ops with a friend of mine, an Eternal that goes by the name Commander Taz. Mm -hmm. They had a ridiculous Felm deck with just rares and legends and just disgusting. It will be interesting to see how the new uh, format turns out once those, uh, I guess, unseated packs get filtered out and you see normal signals and not stuff like Wasteland Broker pick 12 or just complete nonsense yeah i i agree i have very mixed feelings about the beginning of formats and and tend to just get overly frustrated with them when i do when i become unable to resist and then do the draft and then i'm like oh right this is why i was trying not to do a draft for the first few days um because you do get fun decks, but then you also lose against really fun decks, which are a lot less fun yeah. when you're not the one piloting them. Um, yeah, a great source of tilt tends to be losing to rares that are legends you shouldn't see as frequently as you currently do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so how is how has your week been, Tyler? Uh, it's been pretty good. Honestly, the this this whole format change and going back to a set nine base has been so welcomed for me. So I am definitely happy to have not only a fresh format but cards that um, I feel are more complex and interesting. And I started off. I've I've been finding decent success in the format. Um, not obviously not every draft is you know a, a ten out of ten seven wins, but I've been finding a lot better success with this format than I was set one. Um, I think I played this format for like maybe two days. Got and I had in general sweet decks because you know I was out there with everybody grabbing up all the rares and legendaries and triple win conjurings and going crazy like everyone else was, yeah. and then. I, at some point, I was like, okay, enough, enough, enough is enough of this because, um, like Patamaro just said, it, it's it's cool when you're the one doing the sweet stuff, but 
there is also times when it's just like I'm doing cool stuff, but my opponent is doing cool stuff as well, like times ten, and <laughs> you can't, and you can't deal with it. Like here's just a perfect example, and this is the last game I played. I took I took like a two day break just to try to let the game the packs kind of filter out and dial back a little bit, but. This is an example of one of the very last games I had before I took a short break to let them mellow. Is I, me and my opponent were playing a game. We were having a good game. And I don't remember if I was favored or if he was favored, but we were playing a game. It was certainly a game. <laughs> and then he went turn six, fourth, three elder. Turn seven, fourth, three elder. Turn eight, oh, fourth, three elder. No. Turn nine, fourth, three elder. <laughs> and, the place um, said. <laughs> You can imagine that facing a playset of four three elders was like, okay, um, this is fun, but I probably don't need to do this too much more. I'll take a break and come back when it's more uh, concentrated and, and accurate to what it'll actually inevitably be. Yeah. Yeah, this is like a totally separate topic. Uh, but I feel like fourth tree elder almost ruined set one for me. There are just so few cards in the set one draft that deal with a fourth tree elder. It, for, for sure. It felt like, yeah, <laughs> like even yeah. more than some of the bomb rares. It was like if some my opponent played a fourth tree elder and I was like in a certain faction combination, I was like, oh, I can now never win this game. Yeah, like, like in set you can't one. Stun it. It's never exhausted unless you block with it. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there was four main arc draft archetypes in set one draft. And one of them was entirely just like, oops, I opened Force Tree Elder, so now I'm building a Force Tree Elder deck. Like, the the green-based <laughs> decks, that if you open Force Tree Elder, like that, like, there's it's so good that it created a whole archetype that when I feel like would have been much weaker than the other archetypes if it wasn't for that singular card. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah, and then just as an overview of what did happen, um, which I guess I should have explained at the beginning of how our draft weeks was, but set one is over. Now we're in set um, nine point more than five. Um, <laughs> so yes. it's, it's the third iteration of the set nine drafts, uh, Argent Depths, and they switched the draft pack order. So now we're drafting draft packs, set nine set nine draft packs and they changed up what cards are boosted and unboosted and then the other big change is they um there are no longer 5x boosted cards so it's only 10x and 1x boosted cards and then they added about 50 or more new cards into the draft packs with some of them being part of the now 10x boosted cards. So it was it's quite a big change, I think. And and it seems like based on my initial impressions that um even ignoring the draft packs, just the the card quality has gone up a lot in the draft packs. And so you are now much less than in set 9.5 um struggling for playables it's more of a really trying to figure out what your lane is and then you end with this just like pile of great cards and then you have some really tough cuts and stuff like that has been sort of my initial impression of this current format it seems pretty accurate to me too 
Yeah, and um, yeah, 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 I've been having a pretty pretty okay week. I I did a couple drafts that first day um, with the draft or the bot packs, and drafted a couple pretty strong decks, and then just did pretty average with them. Um, and then I took a couple day break, like uh, Tyler said, and then I drafted a Combray deck that felt a lot stronger than it performed. Um, I think I, I think it was just a thing of never drawing my good cards. Like I had two Nahid's distillations in it, and I don't think I drew one of them in the four games that I played with the deck. It was like one of those kind of decks. And yeah, it's um, tragic. And then um, I'm now in a Felm deck, a pretty controlling Felm deck. I sort of um, channeled my inner Shab and mm. built a pretty sweet uh, Felm control deck. And right before the podcast, actually, Tyler and I had a pretty pretty long back and forth match. And uh, I... Yeah, I lost. <laughs> yeah, I won by the skin of my teeth. So it was, yeah, the, it was yeah, pretty icy there for a while. Um, but it's been I'm five zero with that deck, so I'm hoping I can get uh, get a seven zero with that because yeah, I've talked about this on the podcast the before. But I do like all right in draft. I never seven zero though. I have, I have like a fair number of seven wins, and I have like five seven zeros or something. And um, I just like cannot. I can never just like close <laughs> close the run out. I always have to get at least one loss before I can get over the, get that seventh win. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Well, with the quality of the cards in that deck from the game that we played, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely in the books for a seven. It's possible with that deck, man. Yeah. It is. You have so much value in that deck. It is unreal. Yeah. The trick is it's like, that's, I almost lost the game against you. Cause I just like, couldn't draw. It's like, I have to draw my fifth power in that deck. Mm hmm. And then once I draw that fifth power, like the whole deck unlocks. <laughs> but beforehand, it's it can be a little dicey. Um, but we'll talk a little bit more about that deck because I did have a question about our match. Sure. Um, but I'm going to bring that up in card of the week. So we'll move on to announcements um, where we plug the Patreon for the for this podcast at patreon.com slash farming eternal. Um, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can gain access to our show notes and recording bloopers, as well as nudge us towards any Patreon goals we have. Um, and we like to thank everyone who does support the show, because without you guys, uh, the show would not be going. Um, so thank you very much to Cotillion, Lowkey Trickster, Sigma Tank, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Jed the Hamrid, Raven Dragon. 0215 Sunblaze worked on Sun and Yist out. Thank you once again for all your support. So uh, on to card of the week. So since I foreshadowed it a little bit, I'll give my card of the week, which is Lightning Strike, which is the two-cost primal spell that deals four damage to an attacking unit. Um so my question I had uh, for those of you, this is kind of like a what's the play. I don't know if you remember this, Tyler, but you went in for an all-out attack. <laughs> I don't know if it was to try to kill me. Yeah, it was. It was It was basically 
so I was playing it to give, to give some more context. Yes, I'm playing a con, I'm playing a tempo based deck. I'm a tempo aggro Hoover deck, and I have the initiative. I, I may have went first, and I'm on a path to like trying to win the game. And Pato is playing a va- like a late game value control deck. So there's a situation where I'm I'm like doing my thing. I'm attacking. I'm attacking. I'm adding pressure. He stabilizes. Then we take several turns back and forth. Where I'm trying, to, he's at like I think six life or seven life. I think he's at seven. You know, I know he's at seven life. He's at seven, and we have several turns back and forth where he's playing cards, I'm playing cards. He can't comfortably attack because he's at low life, and I'm trying to find and create a window to at least close the gap. And it the situation the situation was, I basically I had to play a play where I could alpha. And I might be jumping ahead here because I forget where this started. <laughs> but I know he is holding Lightning Strike. And I have a plus three, plus three pump spell in hand. And I'm trying, I find a window to alpha and put him to one. And I also have one reach. It's like the last chance that I have to try to win the game before I know I'll never beat a control deck, basically. And he unfortunately, well, he, he went for a Lightning So he blocked. I'm attacking with like five units, probably six units, maybe. And the situation the situation is he has let's say I have over two on him so I have he has four blockers I have six attackers I know that I'm going to get a few damage through and I know he has lightning strike so I made a, a risky play hoping that he would block and then use lightning strike with it, like not testing for it so that I could in turn pump put him set him to one and then use my one reach to finish the game and it was not successful because he gained seven life next turn. So this whole sequence, even though I ended up survive, like surviving at one and then gaining life the next turn, I really misplayed with the lightning strike because I, I after the fact, I realized I either should have tested, like you said, mm-hmm. and lightning strike before I made the blocks and then forced you to commit your pump spell mm-hmm. and then change my blockers around based on that information or I guess the other question I had is if I hadn't played the lightning strike and then let you attacked me in to four, would you have played your pump spell just to get me to one because you had, because you had that one ping damage? hundred percent of the time because that I, when I was on my turn there and, and like I said, the game state had, it wasn't like I'm trying to get the last points of damage on turn five. This was like turn ten. So like he had stabilized, and after five turns after stabilizing, I found a window where I might be able to win. And, and I know if I figured if I didn't try for that window to win, I would never win that game. Just because you have crazy card advantage, you have, um, you have. I know you have surface in your deck. You have ways to recur your units. Um, yeah. So I mean, even though I usually. I would risk it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe not, because I knew you had Lightning Strike. You hadn't shown it, but I knew you had Lightning Strike. I think I was just going for a scenario where I... I, In that scenario, it was kind of hopeless for me to win the game. And I figured I would... It's best... My best odds to win the game in that point is to set up a situation and give you the opportunity to, opportunity to like, misplay a strike, basically. <laughs> right. And it, it, that's nothing against you. That's just, like, that's the one way I can see myself winning that game, because... 
you know, you have to think like, I'm going to strike the three, three, I'm going to take the good, I'm going to take the good blocks. And then I know that I have one extra reach damage. I just assumed that that's how it would go. And that, that was my one window to try to win the game in an otherwise game that I knew I was never winning. So yeah, I would have had to have gone for it regardless, but it is kind of complicated. Cause like I say, I assumed you had lightning strike. That's I was hoping the exact situation that happened is what I was hoping for. And, and, uh, if, if I guess you still need to go, I still would have ne needed to go for it, I think, because you know, that's my only line to win. Like, even if I think you have it and you make those blocks, I still think I have to try to go for it. Yeah. And I guess that's the, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to get at with this card of the week is it's always interesting to me, like how, how you can, how easy it is to misplay a card like lightning strike, because, you actually have, even with the, you know, how Eternal has fewer sort of response windows, you still have several opportunities to use a card like Lightning Strike. And yeah. it, like in this case, I sort of had three opportunities and I picked the single most wrong one, which <laughs> was to block and then use Lightning Strike, which I think is just always wrong. Because you might as well check and to see if there's a response before putting your blockers out. But I think in the case where I knew you were alpha, alpha striking to kill me, the more daring play would have been to block, not use my lightning strike, and then take the damage. Or if you then did try to kill me with a trick blow your yeah, trick out and then two for one. Yeah. And then really be ahead. Yeah. So I thought it was like a really sort of compact example of just how much play there is. And just like these like complicated situations, you know, just how these little details can totally change. You know, if I hadn't had a way to sacrifice my unit, cause you played an electropy to do the final point of damage. And I just happened to have a marsh dragon that could sack my own guy. So it didn't ping me and gain mm -hmm. life. But without that, like my misplay would have cost me the game. For sure. So it, as soon as I, I, as soon as I use the electrophy or the unit that creates it, it's literally the, the second that I put it on the zero five, I was like, like, it didn't enter my mind that you might have a second Marsh Dragon until I used it. And then as soon as I used it, I was like, I should have put that on a more impactful unit in case he has a second Marsh Dragon. So I as well made a bad play <laughs> that turn. Because my first impression and my first thought was, you in the game, you had a 0-6 zero, a zero flying blocker. And I assumed, you know, my heuristic says, put it on the thing that will never die. And that's what I went with. But as soon as I did it, I was like, if he has a sacrifice outlet or a second Marsh Dragon, I should have put this on something more impactful, like one of your other flyers that can attack. And uh, it's just like one of those th gut feelings. Like as soon as you do something, you know how it's about to go. And then sure enough, the next turn you're like, slam a Marsh Dragon, gain seven. And I'm like, well, crap, we're going to play this game for 10 more turns and then I'm going to lose. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's how I felt with the lightning strike. I was just like, as soon as I did it, I was like, that was so stupid. There was, like, no reason to do it this way. But it's just, like, a thing that I need to keep internalizing so I do it correctly, naturally, instead of having to think about it. Um, yeah, and the note of new cards, there is a lot of 
I guess, in- interesting thought as to what you put Electropes on with uh, Plague Griffin. Yes. Just in terms of, do you put it on something that is hard to kill off? Do you put it on something you want killed because your opponent's in low health and they use sac effects? Like, there's a lot of... Do you put it on stuff with, say, like, Decay or, or whatnot that gets really interesting? The, the, the whole Decay interaction is interesting, so... Like, if they have a weapon, that's always worth noting, is that if you can put an Electrophy on a Decay unit, you know, they're going to... Yeah, the damage is going to reduce the armor, obviously, but reducing the attack of an opponent's weapon is is worth noting. Yeah. It it is. I do think, yeah, Electropy becomes a lot... is, like, a lot more interesting due to the fact that your opponents can have units like 0-5s that really can't do anything because that was the thing i always had trouble with in set eight is i would like play the plague griffin and be like oh sweet but then i was like unable to attack because i needed the plague griffin to block whatever i put electropy on because it was the only thing that could block and not you know, like I felt like I couldn't attack on the ground anymore because I didn't want to. I didn't want to like kill the thing I put Electropy on. Um, like, like you pick something that's high value that you yeah. that probably won't die soon, but you accidentally and coincidentally cast uh, Timidity on all your units. Almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Beard Broken, what is your card of the week? Uh, my card of the week is a uh, Humbug Nest. It was t- kind of in the format prior at one X boosting. Now it's ten X boosted. So humbug nest. So yes. So humbug nest is a three time time card. It's a fast spell. It makes two one one humbugs that are flying. So at least to me, I find the card especially interesting because I think it's I think it has strong potential with respect to Xenon because in set nine it has a, it has a uh, ambush theme going on with stuff like Blurhaze Worm and uh, Rollins Enforcer. Yes. And I think it has some powerful interactions with respect to stuff like that, in addition to just being a solid card. Yes, I agree. I think um, I think it was either 5 or 10x boosted in the, in the original Argent Depths um, format. And I do think it was like one of the reasons that, at least in the original format, uh, the Xenon Ambush deck did better than it did in set 9.5 um so yeah i i think it is kind of like a a hidden xenon card because i guess back you know with like majestic flies or majestic skies in set (laughs) eight um i kind of think of humbug's nest sort of as an elysian card and like a flyers you know a nice way to get two easy two nice flyers out there um, but with uh, Majestic Skies now going from 10x to 1x, that dream is sort of dead, and yeah. um, I do think it fits really nicely in t- in the Xenon deck, like you said. Yeah. On the plus side, at least for, I guess, Elysian Flyers dreams, you do have a, a Horner, Plenty, Horner Plenty back. Yes. Which is always good fun. It definitely shines with Horner Plenty. I've, I've definitely already been doing the whole Horn of Plenty uh, bug nest or hub mug nest thing for sure, for sure. Yeah. So at least with OG set nine, one thing I did 
like doing with Humbug Nest was actually basically playing it in practice, partly on the basis of good card is good, but also because you did have stuff like Rally and Relentless Assault, the the two mana give you a plus three, and then the rest of your board plus one attack for the turn. Mm-hmm. Just being very aggro with it, incidentally. Although, Rally's... I believe Rally's back to 1x, but you do still have access to Fire Conjuring, which, you know, it's basically Rally Plus, and uh, Relentless Assault still. Yes. So, like, there's there's some potential aggro there. It, it's also a good removal spell when you're facing fire-based decks, because there's a, you know, a certain number of X1s that it blocks very, very well. Mm-hmm. And if let's say your opponent isn't so knowledgeable about the format changes and doesn't know about the boosting, they might not be conditioned to play around Humbug Nest at this current time, and will attack blindly into it with their 4-1s their, their or their 5-1s, and in a game that the, the two one ones acts as basically kill two of your opponent's units, it's just over-the-top good. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah no, uh, that is definitely a great use. Yeah, I'm... Sort of unrelated, but talking about fire, I am kind of interested to see what fire's role is in this new format because, like, based on the the draft pack cards, I feel like fire's role has to change from what it had been for me, which is kind of like like a combo aggro deck. Mm-hmm. Where you just like pressure your opponent and then kill them out of nowhere, which was what a lot of my fire decks were in the last format. And yeah. And now yep. that they took the draft pack five attack guys out, um, I feel like it's, its role in this format is going to have to change a little bit. Yeah. Might Weaver Rampage stuff is potentially less scary. Yes. All I right, think- Tyler. Tyler, uh, what is your card of the week? Alright, so I picked a card that is new to me, but I'm from what I've heard, it's been broken in other limited formats, but that card is Quicksilver Ooze. And it's a it's a three cost a three costing two two for a single Tom Pip. And it has the it has an active ability called Twist, and you pay three to twist it, twist uh, Quicksilver Ooze or Silver Spoon Ooze to play a 2-2 blob. Mm-hmm. So when you... The things that I've found this in success with um, alongside of Horn of Plenty, so a, a card that we mentioned talking about Humbug Nest. So this is just a 3-costing 2-2 that makes another 2-2 when you twist it for 3. But in any circumstance where you you know, you know raise its toughness, you can suddenly start creating more and more and more tutus so with with horn of plenty it creates a, a basically a five one and two three threes you know with from one card which isn't has been insane value for me as far as like going wide and having sack fodder and having extra blockers or you can attack for attack for five and then twist it to, to create a another blocker if it's on the five one part of it with horn it's just a card that is for me a brand new card because I am relatively new to Eternal in general. I've only been playing like five, six months and I didn't get to play with this card. I've never played this card in limited before. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, sweet new card. And I've piloted it to seven wins and with two ooze, two horn 
twice so far in like the few drafts I've done in this format. So I do like it. Great value engine. Yes. Yeah, it works really well with Horn. Uh, a cup, uh, Another card that is particular to this set is like um, weapons like Badge of Honor that, you know, anything that boosts toughness can go really well with Ooze because, you know, that's just you're pumping the number of activations as well as the number of times you can sort of puff plus its um, attack. So I think it's that might, you know, like in a Combray, it might be kind of interesting because this is sort of a a power sink. And I've always found that Combray decks in this format have trouble (laughs) figuring out what to do with all the power that you've generated. So, you know, pumping out oozes with your, or blobs with your Quicksilver ooze is like another idea that I've had, though I haven't done it yet. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's good. Menace, menace things you're rad. Have something to do with your extra power is yeah. usually yeah. a good thing. Yeah. It's essentially a, I guess for three mana, strictly bow average three drop, but, you know, it's mana sync. For six mana, you get a three, three one and a two two, and it can do so much more. Conjunctional cards like Corner Plenty. At least back in the original set, it was in Dark Frontier. That format in its curated packs had stuff like Warren Shield and Refresh, which give you a lot of activations. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I can see that going with Refresh yeah. pretty well. Yeah. It also had Bear Arms, which was like the Wombo combo with all the twist cards. Yeah. Bear Arms and Blood Nurse, Bear Arms and Ooze, just infinite activation so long as you have mana. I was just going to say, I, I just imagine looking forward um, in this format, once the rares and uncommons like chill a little bit, that we'll see lots of people playing Horn and Ooze together. Because they're both common, they're both easy to get. It'll be something that we see in lots of archetypes. Not just, you know, not anything that has Tom and can support the combo, I, I think it'll be an easy grab for people to, to use. So I expect yeah. to see this a lot in the next couple weeks. Yeah, it'll also be interesting... Um... Horn is like a weird card where sometimes I feel like it's overvalued and then sometimes <laughs> it feels undervalued where you where it's almost like Caravan Guard from this last set where you're like, how is there a 10th pick Caravan Guard in this pack? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Horn can, can go either way where you're just like, I don't know, you never see them or then in some formats it's just like, you always see them. But like Horn is also a very splashable card. So I think just how often you see them will depend a little bit on, on how easily, you know, how easy, easily people are splashing and stuff, which it seems like three colors is kind of, I've been seeing a lot of three color decks or two colors in a splash. So, you know, that's not out of the question. Just that where people start putting horns just in every random deck. For sure. Yeah. Any deck with units, it works, right? Yeah. You have yeah. units? Yes. Okay. Horn works. <laughs> yeah. Admittedly, there are a few things more depressing than playing a horn or plenty onto an empty board where you have no units in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. It's but that's that's the downside of the card. A lot of upside though. I do love me horns. Yeah. And, like, I, I kind of been feeling... I have a feeling this is going to be... I don't know. I guess this is... 
how fast the format was uh, depended on where you were on on ladder, but I'm really worried that there's not going to be very much aggro or aggressive decks in this format, which means it's just going to sort of get more more and more mid-rangey and controlly and stuff. In which case, things like horn ooze start to shine, you know, because you have time yeah. to to do all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not, you know, you don't, and there's nothing, if there's nothing to punish you for spending five power to do nothing, then, uh, you know, then people are going to do it. Moving on to our seven win run breakdown. Uh, So this is our longstanding data collection project where uh, listeners send in their seven win drafts to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them to the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord. Uh, either an exported deck list or any kind of Eternal Warcry link. And then we take this information, we put it in a spreadsheet, and we do a little bit of data analysis on it uh, to draw some conclusions about the format and share it to, you know, and talk about it on this podcast. And part of that is you get a shout out for sending in a list each week. And... As always, thank you to John Holio for entering all the lists. So we have no new contributors this week, but our veteran contributors are Beard Broken, Brantar, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, Gunner 116, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, John Avon, John Holio, Meadow, Mercurio Blue, Shab, Spiro, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Toucan, Vader, oh, and Vader. Um, yeah, so this week we don't have anything to say because the format just changed. So we usually wait a couple weeks to get enough deck lists to talk about what's showing up and stuff. Um, and next week I think we're going to do our breakdown of the the draft changes and stuff. So we'll talk more about it then. But I did want to shout out everyone who took the time to send in the send in their decks this week. So thank you very much. So we'll move on to our main topic, which, like I said at the top of the show, is not the draft changes, but is in fact sealed. This is kind of a a show topic we've been meaning to do for a while, um, because there are in fact two ways to play limited in Eternal. There is League every month and Draft. So we mostly focus on Draft, but uh, League is also, you know, I think... A significant part of uh, Eternal. It's a you know it's a thing you get to do every week, every month, um, and so we thought we'd do kind of a primer, a primer on it. And so I asked uh, Beard Broken, who what do you know what rank you ended up last month? Uh, last month I think I was in, I think I was in top thirty, somewhere in that range. Yes. I believe my final record was 31 and 9. So that's how Beard Broken got on the show, is I looked at the top 20, and then I saw Beard Broken's name, and Beard Broken uh, contributes to the Discord, and so I asked him to be on the show, and he said yes, because he's a name I often see in the top of Draft and the top of Sealed. So I thought you would be a great person to talk to for the show. And then... Tyler, I ask, because uh, you've been streaming a lot, and every Monday you play your sealed games mm-hmm. and are very thoughtful 
about both your play and your building of your sealed deck. So I figured you might have a lot to say on the subject. So I also asked you on. So thank you two for coming on to talk about sealed because sealed is in fact a format that I do not play that often. Uh, one of the main reasons is just playtime, like committing 40 games a month to it is sometimes a bit much, especially in the summer when I'm very busy. But also a thing that I struggle with, which I hope today will help clear up, is I kind of get into a rut in week three and four where I feel like locked into my deck. Mm. And if I didn't get cards to improve my deck in week one or two, I have trouble sort of breaking out of breaking out of whatever deck I used and like really trying to like build my pool or fresh eyes. So these are all things I hope we can talk, we can touch on today. Sure, man. Yeah. yeah. Thanks again for having me on here. Honestly, this is, this is cool. And I definitely have a few things to say about sealed. Even if I don't consider myself one of the top sealed players, I do. I'm relatively knowledgeable about limited. So I'm excited to say what I have to say and see what you guys think about sealed as well. I also thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here and hopefully be, I guess, more of a positive on the knowledge front than a negative. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, compared to me, it can only go uphill. So uh, I guess to begin with, I wanted to know, Beer Broken, do you want to just like kind of give an overview of what League is and what it entails? Yeah, so essentially the way Sealed works is you start off with a set number of packs. Generally, it's been eight, and in the case of this Sealed, it's been four of Argent Depths and four Echoes of Eternity, each week following being weeks two, three, and four, because it's a month-long sealed. You, th you then get uh, two packs after each week, totaling 14 by the end of week four, and the client's going to tell you what those packs are. If I recall right, week two is going to be two of Flame of Zolta, week three is going to be one Flame of Zolta, one Argent Depths, and week four is going to be one Echoes of Eternity and one Argent Depths. Hopefully my notes are correct on that. And at least in terms of games, you get to play 10 games max a week in terms of your like primary rating. After that, you can play up to 20 tiebreaker games, which is basically going to be how they differentiate between you know the given 30 tens, 20 tens, so on and so forth. So basically, in total, you have 40 primary games, as I'll put it, that count towards your record and then up to 80 tiebreaker games that uh go towards differentiating between the 30 tens the 2010 so on and so forth mm -hmm. and i guess one important note is if you join a league late or you didn't play your 10 primary games the prior week or whatever they carry over to the next week so you can't miss primary games you can miss breakers but you can't miss uh primary games right so, As in, you know, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, it means even if you sign up in week four, you will be allowed to make up the 30 games you quote unquote missed. Yeah. Um, and you'll be able to play all 40 games with your week four pool. Yep. Um, yeah. And after that, you get 20 breakers. Yes. Uh, try and do a little better okay 
So I think that that was a great uh, overview of what the format of League is. So one question I had for you two is like, why do you think one should take time away from draft to play sealed every week? Well, I would say, I would say if if you're in the collection building phase um, of your your eternal career, we'll say, or your eternal your length in eternal, if you're still collection building, it it adds a lot more cards for your for your value or for your investment, your EV essentially. Um, your return of investment is much higher in sealed. So, as far as like a strictly you use your you use your economy to get cards back. It's a great place to invest because not only do you get the packs that you you progressively open throughout the month, but then the season end rewards are better than any any other thing in the entire in the entire game. So, if you're a newer player and you're looking to get accrue cards, even if you're afraid that you're just going to lose the whole time, it's still it's still worth it to invest. Even if it is a delayed gratification type thing, because you have to wait a month before you see all your you get all all of your investment return. But definitely, like I say, for new players, it's a great investment as far as collection building. Yeah. So in terms of, I guess, your sealed money bang for your buck, aside from having the joy of playing forty plus sealed games, which <laughs> I do quite enjoy, I buy sealed almost almost every month currently. So at base, you're going to get 14 packs, at least four from rewards, depending on where you place in the leaderboard bracketing thing. I don't currently have the exact breakdown, but I guess to me, the really notable breakpoint is if you finish top 500, you get like 10 plus packs in addition to what you got from your league and a premium legendary, which is pretty good. Yes. And do you guys have like a sense of what your record needs to be? In on average, to get top five hundred, what is it like? Twenty five and fifteen is usually top five hundred. That would be my quick guess. I would maybe. I think maybe, so. Yeah. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's easier than that. But I would say if you're twenty five and fifteen, you're probably making. You're probably making top five hundred every time, and that's yes. a pretty realistic yeah. realistic goal for someone that's played limited. Yeah, yeah. and. That's- yeah, five games up from uh, twenty and twenty, the average. Yeah, Most and then the other nice there. thing about the rewards is because um, Dire Wolf was really optimistic with the number of people they thought might play sealed, and so um, you almost have to get hardly any wins to to like sort of move up the bracket rankings, at least for the you know, the the lowest brackets, you're almost guaranteed to get extra packs as at month for your month end rewards because um, you know, there's never ten thousand people playing sealed. Yeah. Yeah, and and within the people that do choose to do sealed, like like you said yourself, there's a certain number of people who may start off on a hot streak and have a bad week and then just forget about sealed for the month. It may not finish their game. So even within the people that do play, there's a certain number of them, like I say, that won't complete their games. And just playing out your games, even if you're doing poorly, helps you get ahead of those type of people, basically. Exactly. Because uh, one of the things to note about how uh, like the sealed ranking system is, 
the more than win percentage, the number one factor is the number of wins you have. And so, you know, at the end of the four weeks, you know, if you're um, actually either way, but if you're like 11 and 29, you will be a higher rank than someone who went 10 and 0 and then stopped playing sealed. Yeah, exactly. And you're, in fact, um, at 10 and 30, you're also higher than someone who went 10 and 0 because your losses also boost your rank a little bit. They incentivize you for playing all your games, basically. Exactly. So um, if you do have the mental fortitude, uh, which I... (laughs) As I said pre, pre-show, I sometimes do not. It is always worth it to finish out your games, especially if you're having fun. Um, so, um, yeah, so th- I think that was a, a great overview of sort of the financial aspects. So do you think there are, uh, like Beer Brogan, you mentioned that you enjoy playing your sealed games. So, like, what about sealed from a gameplay-wise, do you enjoy? And this could be gameplay, like deck building or, you know, building pools. Just like what, what's, what about sealed do you like? Uh, so at least for me, it's a few things. One, you tend to get to play with a lot of cards that, at least in terms of looking at draft, were not initially uh, put together to be played together which is interesting. Like you kind of saw that with the sealed with one of the seals prior where you got Argent depths packs and omens of the past packs. You had set nine and set two. It's kind of interesting to see what synergies happen to exist between those two sets. Cause like you're talking designed like three years apart from each other, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see that set nine, say in Xenon, happens to have a few cards that gain life, like Worldly Cleric, that can interact with some of the set two synergies, because Xenon's theme back in set two, at least in terms of attempted synergy archetypes, was a uh, life force. So there's a uh, three five uncommon, I believe it's called Blood Call Invoker. It's a five mana three five, one time, one shadow, that has when you gain life at the end of your turn, make a XX radiant with X equal to the amount of life you gained. So stuff like that happens to play pretty well with a generally an unassuming card like World Cleric, which is a three mana two two that gains you life equal to your uh total influence at time. So oh, it's sure. kind of amusing to see synergies like that that I guess you don't usually encounter in draft and you happen to say stumble upon in a sealed league where you buy into your where you buy into your pool and you you see interesting cards like that and just how they mesh or don't mesh and so on and so forth. Tyler, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I guess just to to follow up on some things he said. So like he said, it's it's a non specific um, set format. So I guess what that means is that it's kind of like a chaos format. So it could be any yeah. it could be any arrangement of sets. And for me, as a new player to this game, it it the benefit of playing sealed is that 
I may I get exposed to certain cards and sets that I would have never been exposed to if I was just queuing or unlikely to be exposed to if I was just queuing in draft where I usually queue. And how that helps going forward is that when you, even if it is a small bit of interaction, when you learn to see these some of these cards in the more older sets or more obscure cards in sealed in action, you have a better idea of how to prioritize them going forward in draft formats if they're added to the curated packs. So I think that's a benefit is just, one, you get more seat time to play more games, but, but predominantly you get exposure to cards that are in formats that you wouldn't have got to learn. So you're not exactly you're not exactly going at them cold when they're added to new curated packs. So you have an idea of what you should be looking for. It just helps your general knowledge. And I, I think the biggest part of call it card games in general is, is this, that it's just that card games are just a massive knowledge grind. So anything you can do to add to that will help you inevitably some at some point. Yeah, that's, that's a, a very good point. Um, uh, sorry. Uh, You're good, man. I was just rifling off. <laughs> I was going to say, at least to me, Seal definitely does a good job of, I guess, testing your, uh, I guess, your limited deck building potential and ability and just the ways in which you think about cards. And that can be interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. And so, what would you guys say are, are like the sort of primary differences between how to approach sealed and how to approach sort of draft deck building? Well, they're different, right? So the game plays the gameplay plays out very similar. Mm-hmm. Gameplay yeah. aspect of both draft and, and sealed is like almost the same. But as far as construction goes they're completely they're on completely different ends of the spectrum right so yeah where where draft is like um, a ball of clay on a wheel you know sealed is more like pieces of a puzzle that you have to figure out how they fit Hmm. and in one you 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 know you sharpen it as you go and the other you're just giving a bunch of resources and you have to make something of it to a degree or how that translates is with sealed you don't have signals you don't have to worry about that you just have your cards it's a question of how do you put them together to make the best deck possible. Yeah, definitely. So it is, it is much more puzzly in that regard, as opposed to thinking about, say, like perceived value of cards, what what is open, stuff like that, that you get in draft. Yeah, it it's kind of interesting to me because I I know the way people sort of talk about uh, sealed and draft is like. You know, draft, the drafting process requires, you know, people talk about draft as being much more sort of skill intensive because you have to like read signals and, you know, know, choose which cards you want while sealed, they're just giving you, you know, you just open and then hopefully you open really good cards and then can make a really good obvious deck. But for me, it's, it's this weird thing where sealed is just like so overwhelming because you just get this huge ma- mass of cards and then you're like do something with this while yeah like sort of at worst in draft you're just like i'm going to pick all the time cards yeah 
and and then you can kind of yeah. like build a semi-functional deck as long as the colors were like sort of opened while sealed it's like you really have to like see into the heart of the cards and like sealed feels like a lot more like the scene in like a movie or tv show where you just have all of these pictures and stuff on a board and you have string <laughs> going everywhere yeah and you're like i see it and then all of a sudden you have a you know you have your deck while draft you can you know it's not the best move but worse comes to worse you can sort of force your way into a deck yeah yeah it's like in draft it's draft is like there's someone asking you a hundred simple questions in sealed it's like here i'm just going to ask you one big question answer it yeah and, and you're kind of like now find this needle in the haystack yes. and i agree with you that it's very it's it's easy to feel overwhelmed and sealed because mm-hmm. usually i mean not every week not every never every sealed but it is very common that there is several, several, several routes you can take with building your deck. Um, for instance, I took a look at Patamaru Sealed, gave him three decks that I thought were in there, and he he showed me the decks that he had built, and they none of them were the same deck. You know, yeah. it, it shows that that it's not always obvious what you should play, and sometimes you have three, four, two options that both look just as good. It's it's hard to discern which one is correct, even if you can get to that, even if you're taking the time to get to that point to find the options. Definitely overwhelming, but it's a good process, and it's a a unique skill that isn't offered by draft that does take time to learn. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you get, I guess, a very unclear or complicated sealed pool, just when it gives you multiple paths you can take in terms of what your deck construction is because on the one hand giving on the one hand having a lot of choices gives you a lot of potential power just in terms of how you see about trying to win your win your sealed games however it does have the additional difficulty complication of you know how are you getting your foot in the door what are you even bringing yeah and so i i think that brings up one of the points that I I wanted to talk about, especially for people new to Sealed, is do do both of you find that you often are, like, making multiple pools? And, like, what is, how does that, once you have your pool, what is that sort of your process to figure out what deck you're playing with look like? Well, some weeks it's more obvious than others. For instance... Last month, yeah. last month, I had multiple decks, and I couldn't figure out which one was correct. Maybe that was an ad, the added added to the confusion by the fact that I was trying to build my decks on stream, and I'm talking to people. Um, for something that's overwhelming, it's hard to discern what is correct. But like, yeah, for instance, just additional factors. Yeah, just too many questions, and I feel that take the time to build several decks. But with this month, I opened my packs on stream. With not without the intent of building, but as soon as I opened my packs and looked at my pool, it, it, I didn't have to think about it. It took me two minutes to build my deck, and five minutes maybe, and I had no intent of building it on stream. But it was just like I opened my pack, all my good cards aligned, my two drops aligned, you know, my removal aligned, my interaction mm-hmm. aligned, and I was just like, okay, so all my good, most of my, 
my good curve is in this color, my rares are in this color, and I have, you know, a few obscure cards that I can comfortably splash with the fixing. It was just some weeks like this, this yeah. month, it's easy. Some months it's not. Yeah. At least for me, last month, my sealed was... It was relatively complex, just on the basis of my sealed pool had a, a ton of fixing, so... I could go a few different routes within the same specific, like, base color pair, which for me was, in week one, it was Combray, and then I played a couple games, and I noticed I was generally losing pretty badly to people that uh, that had curved, so I basically made the deck less greedy. I instead went Xenian for removal, and then... Uh, after that, I largely stayed in the Xenon route with a red splash for pillages, specifically it was. And then later in the weeks, when my uh, Justice cards got a better curve, I was able to go uh, uh, time Justice Shadow and be you know more of just a straight mid-range deck that, that could play you know stuff like Caravan Guards to stall for the later game till I eventually overwhelmed someone or overwhelmed people with stuff like uh mave mm-hmm. to just pull ahead on cards and board position and so on and so forth yeah so what what is your i guess I just, this is maybe unique to every individual but i guess i was just kind of wondering like what is your process so you like you sign into league you get your eight packs. Like, when do you start, like, taking in information and, like, start thinking about what directions you want to take your sealed pool? So, at least for me, when I'm opening the packs, I'm generally, like, looking at the rares, the uncommons, sometimes the commons being like, oh, this is a card I really want to play. Oh, did I just open a, uh, I don't know, I guess going from last week, oh, did I just open a uh, From Beyond a Mave? I really want to play that. Can I play that? And then you start, I guess, moving more into the realm of reality once you have all your packs open and you're looking at the deck builder and going like, oh, okay, so this is what my Combray cards are looking like. Oh, I don't actually have that much of an early game curve, so I might risk dying to, you know, red deck curve out, stuff like that. And then, at least from there, that's when I start picking apart the pool and looking at what I can do in all my colors, how they might interact with each other either just in terms of synergies or just how they deal with potential problems. You know, what removal do they have? What interaction do they have in the form of tricks or other other cards of that sort? How they aim to win the game? Is it through, you know, like a tempo, one drop, two drop, three drop kind of curve out? Or is it, you know, through playing something like a Smogwing Tinker or, you know, given good rare? I would say, I would say my process, I mean, I, I don't always have the same process because, you know, given given that the packs are random and what you open is random, I don't always follow the same patterns. But the initially on opening packs, when, you know, when you first enter the league, you open your packs, the first impression is certainly the rares. And then if there is, like, some standout rares, um, the first thing I look at is the same thing that Beard Broken said is that I need to see if I can facilitate playing these rares in a functioning deck. And that's the first thing I try. And then if, if the answer to that is no, like maybe maybe I put the rare the rares and those colors in and I add all the cards that I think are good and I'm la- lacking like a key component of, 
you know, early game, mid game, um, hard interaction. Then, then I restart the whole process by usually something I like to do if I'm not certain on where I'll be building my deck from is just go to the card filter in, in this, in this, go to the filter in the cards and filter it by units and two drops and three drops. And that's it. I just want to see what my units are at two and three. And then I look to see where that is because I prioritize curve and I yeah. prioritize lower curve than most people. Not super low, but lower curve than most people. And when I can when I can just look at all my two and three drops together and figure out what factions or what individual um, color colors have the most, then I'll I'll start building from there and then see how the deck builds out on top of that. Because in earlier weeks when people's decks in general are less focused, less developed, um, less concentrated on their their specific synergy, just having proactive things to do consistently is going to win you so many more games than yeah, trying to bank on your best card to win you the game. Yeah. In my a opinion. A fair number of decks can, with their draw, can just absolutely die to, you know, going like one drop Flame Heart Patrol or four one Decay, so like Corrosive Dagger or some other tempo card, so on and so forth. Yeah, like two drop, two drop, three. In, in week one sealed before people are very focused and developed, Two drop, three drop removal can win you game easy, basically. Yeah. Because they're, they're like, yeah. I'm three colors, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I have some sweet rares and I want to play them. And you're just like, okay, that's cool, but um, take 25 damage, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> have fun dying to these commons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, that, that kind of leads into a couple other questions slash thoughts. Because I do know that people talk about sealed... Just in general, and a lot of this is like um, knowledge from you know MTG, where people talk about how sealed is sort of a slower format that's more bomb heavy than draft is, and also I think um, you know sealed is also because it is bomb heavy. People are often splashing for those bombs, so. Do you think are do you think you are to splash in sealed or you know in league? Definitely, I I am. Yeah, but it it all yeah. comes down to something basically. So you should check your fixing. Fixing should be on your checklist of things that you look towards when building your deck. Agreed. So yeah. you should ask yourself. There's so first of all, you should ask yourself: Do I have fixing? Can can I facilitate a, a third, fourth, whatever splash color? Um, then the second thing you should ask is what kind of fixing I have and how deep is it? And what I mean by what kind is there's basically two kinds of fixing. We'll say we'll put it in simple terms. There is fixing that that slots into your power base, which is a nat- like natural fixing, and then you have card slot fixing, um, things like amber acolyte that that fetch and seek power, things that take a card slot but fetch power from your deck. And if you can support it. Being that it's a slower format, I do think that most times in sealed, um, it's correct to splash at least a few of your higher power level cards since it is slower. I mean, that's the traditional wisdom, right? Is that sealed is slower, and in a longer game, you'd be more likely to find that extra color and play your game breaking card that you wouldn't have got to play if you hadn't facilitated the splash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, sealed on average usually is slower. And then the other kind of point you brought up in what you had said before is sort of how the texture of like your deck and your opponent's deck changes over the course of the month. Um, Certainly. So how does that affect things in both your like deck building and what you're expecting to play? Like, do you do you feel like you need to change your deck's plan a little bit to like incorporate the fact that your opponent's decks are theoretically also getting better because they have more cards to choose from? I would say that it depends on what sets are focused. So yeah, absolutely. You should definitely always prioritize your curve. That's something that I can be an advocate for that people sleep on. Like you, you can't. You can only be so greedy and still win games. Um, but yeah, going back to what I said, depending on the set that is featured in the in this current league or any league. So some sets are more. Some sets are more um, synergy based sets. And their cards may not do so much on their own, but as you open more packs and get more cards from the specific set, you may need to revisit your synergy cards that were like D's, D's on week one, but maybe by week four, when you have all these extra cards, you have enough cards to turn those D's into A's, and now your, your other filler cards are just not nearly as good. So you're constantly asked to reevaluate how your cards interact with other cards. Like, for instance, going back to the... Um, life force card that beard broken brought up earlier you know if you don't have any life gain that card's probably terrible but in you know the next two weeks three weeks if you open like six lifesteal cards and or life gain cards that card's probably pretty good uh, it, i think it asks asks you to keep reassessing what you have and, and especially especially you need to keep reassessing how your cards work to be with each other if it's a, a, a hard synergy type set that you're opening more packs for. Yeah. Like a few cards from, I guess, Echoes of Eternity to take a look at perhaps are things like Bladecrafter, Rageheart Paladin. There's definitely going to be uh, Majestic Skies potentially. There's definitely a lot of stuff that benefits from a specific thing that could get better in future weeks, but n might not be good now. That's always good to keep an eye out for in your future packs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so do you think this is, like, in this deck-building process and, like, figuring out what directions you're taking it, your deck, I think this is one of the areas where, like, your draft knowledge is, like, really applicable because from drafting, you know, you have a sense of what cards are strong and, like, what cards you could potentially start building decks around. Um, yeah. Some of the draft knowledge gives you a lot of insight on what commons and what commons and uncommons in particular are. Your draft knowledge definitely comes into play there, just giving you insight on what co or how commons and or how specific commons and uncommons are strong and just how you build around them in that regard, what plays nice with them, what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like once you start building your deck, um, you know, I think in in draft, you, you know, a lot of people think about draft decks sort of just like there's slots that you need to fill. And so like 
you talk about curve. And so like in draft, you want, you know, six to eight, two drops, and then a few less three drops and up your, your, you know, sort of up the curve that way until you get to your five, six and seven drops where you don't really want to have that many. And then you want to, you know, make sure you have three sources for each, you know, three sources to splash one card, four sources to splash another card, um, you know, as far as splashing goes. And then for, you know, you want to have, a, you know, X number of interaction cards or X number of removal or combat tricks, um, you know. So w when you're building your sealed pool, do you think those numbers sort of translate pretty accurately, like one to one? Like, are you trying to build your sealed deck to look like a, a, a reasonable draft deck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're relatively similar, right? Um, but it has a lot to do with what, how you think your deck wins. Because yeah, absolutely. If if the goal you're trying to accomplish, I mean, it, it pretty much translates, right? If if you think that you're an aggro deck, and you think you've opened certain cards to facilitate an aggro deck or a tempo-based strategy, then you should maintain that low curve um, draft. Uh, yeah, ideology, I guess. Potentially lower amount of power in your deck, so on and so forth. Yeah, and then, and likewise with if you think you're a big deck, like if you're a deck, a mid range deck or a control deck, maybe maybe you get a little bit greedier in sealed because you know on average the decks you face are probably more mid rangey, higher top end. So maybe you need to go a little bit over the top. But I would say just just in general, like the deck building heuristics for draft are very, very similar, if not almost exactly the same in sealed. Because the gameplay is yeah. the same. The gameplay is yeah. the same. It's just yeah. Yeah, basically. It's just the process to get there, to get to play your games is completely foreign from the other. A lot of a lot of your draft knowledge in terms of playing limited games will apply to sealed. It's just you might need you might need to keep in mind that the cards that are available in sealed are different than what is available in the draft packs. And, you know, calibrate yourself to that. Look up what is in, you know, Flame of Zolta. It was a set from a few, it was a set from, you know, a few sets ago. So, you know, maybe get a refresher on, you know, what are the fast spells, what's the disruption, so on and so forth. Common threats you might see. I would say one difference between deck building um, and, and draft to sealed is that I would say that there is, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I would say that when it comes to sealed deck building, there's probably a little bit less metagaming as far as what you expect to see, because the pick, whereas in draft, picks are focused. You know, there's common common archetypes that, like for instance, once once the in 8.5, once the Huru flame caught on, or 9.5, sorry, once the Huru thing caught on, there was like a week or two where it was like, wow, 50% of the decks I'm playing against are Huru. So in building my decks in that time, you have to take in, in consideration that you know you're playing against decks with Changey Stick, you know you're playing against Huru, whereas in Sealed, you can't go into a Sealed thinking, I'm, I'm building Huru, because you know, you might not open yeah. it. So it's more about, you just want to build the best deck that you can build that accomplishes a goal, and opposed to draft, where you, when you build your deck, you have to consider what the field is doing in the metagame. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, predicting a, uh, yeah, predicting a uh, a sealed league metagame can be a little tricky because they do tend to be pretty different month after month after month. 
just by virtue of they change out the packs every month. Like that's just you're going to be facing different cards. It's like a little to bit some more regard, like to some regard, you can see that a lot of this month is going to be Argent Depths and Echoes of Eternity. So you can look at like I guess major commons among colors. You can see stuff like Max Stranger and Covetous Stranger existing. So maybe you want to have, I guess maybe you want to think about in your deck if you can have ways to either take advantage of those effects or make them less impactful in the game, say by like pillaging one of them or whatever. You know, it can be useful to think about in that regard, but at the same time, you don't want to necessarily take it too far, go into the realm of being paranoid in terms of what you can face against, and yeah, you know, that can just end up hurting you because you're not you're not focusing on, you know, you're not focusing you're not focusing on game. Sorry, throat's getting dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um... One quick practical question, and that's with the power base. So, do you think, like, is do we are we shooting for eighteen power and sealed too? Is that what we'd say the average is? Sort of similar to draft. Yeah, yeah, for me, eighteen. Yeah, eighteen is the, what the golden standard for this game. Yeah, across both formats. Yeah. All right, yeah, and then uh, to touch on something that beard stuff. Oh, sorry, what? I said, yeah, like trying to play six drops and stuff being, you know, like a conventional mid-range deck. Yeah, 18's probably a good place to be at. Yeah. Um, And then something that Beard Broken said about sort of familiarizing yourself with, like, the possible interaction and stuff, you'll see. Uh, This is, Tyler, as someone who is newer to the game and maybe hasn't played through... Um, the old sets is that have you done that do you like if I know this month you've played both set um, a lot lot of set 8 and a lot of set 9 so it's less important in this set but like say the packs were you know set it was like Dusk Road and um, and Argent Depths is that something that you do is like kind of go back and see what cards you might be seeing because you're not as familiar with those older sets Uh, i think you're talking to me um i don't particularly take the time to go research the sets but i'm definitely at a disadvantage i I would say that i'm not as concerned with my results i just try to have fun in sealed league so if it's something that's foreign if it's like you say all sets that i haven't experienced yet i just try to build the best deck i can and, and enjoy the format and not put too much effort into like you, I certainly could go and read the card list for these old sets to try to expect what I'm going to see, but not. I don't typically go back and like look look at them. I I would rather like basically when there's sets that I haven't played or cards that I haven't played, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like you get that enjoyment of being your you know your first time with it. It feels fresh. It feels new. Like oh, that's a cool interaction. Or it's it's good to learn through the process, opposed to try to. I mean, the stakes aren't very high, right? So I don't need to go in-depth and do he- tons of research. Just I'd rather just enjoy it when I can. Yeah, there's not money on the line. Yeah. Is, it, is that your process for a new set in draft, too? Do you, do you just try to learn all the cards through drafting, or do you spend some time with the spoilers, kind of just, like, looking at all of the cards? Um. In Eternal, 
in Eternal, so yeah, pretty much. I mean, I I'll see spoilers, but in in Eternal so far, I've pretty much just been the kind of guy that in, enjoys just experiencing it and learning it myself. But there's been times in my life with other with other card games where maybe I'm taking it a little bit more seriously. Maybe I'm trying to be more of a pro level player or something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. Where those games, like specifically Magic Limited Environments for like MCQs and PTQs, certainly. I would I would read all the spoilers. I would listen to all the their podcasts that talked about like the limited resources podcast, for example. Yeah, you definitely would, remind me of them. I, I would do an insane amount of research going into you know before these cards were released. So I felt like I had an edge to because there was a lot more of a monetary investment in other card games, specifically Magic. And I did the research here. I mean, I'll entertain it if I see a spoiler. That's cool. I enjoy it. But I. This is more, I mean, Eternal is just like a fun game. It's a fun game I really am passionate and enjoy, and enjoy playing. Passionate about it, enjoyable. And I would rather like not have that fun ruined by being super over-the-top analytical about new stuff. And just, you know, I don't want to ruin the new experience for myself mm-hmm. like I have with other, other sets and stuff in the past. Right. I, I can definitely respect not going, I guess, not diving into the uh, the deep end in that regard. Just... I guess, in, or, or, God, what, what am I trying to say? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm trying to be poetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool, man. But yeah, but not to knock it, not to anyone that does want to take the time to, you know, look at the spreadsheets, look at the 10Xs, look at the 1Xs. Anyone that wants to look over the spoilers and, you know, feels like they should take the time to do that or they want to, they really want to up their game. It, it's yeah, a like by listening to a podcast or something. <laughs> yeah, it's a wise thing to do for sure. If you want to give yourself an advantage, definitely take the time to put in the work to you know read the spoilers. You know, know know the boosted. It, it is it is a tool at your disposal, and it does give you an advantage. Yeah, I was gonna say at least for me, I do when it or when a new set comes out, I do like looking over the set just to see what all the cards are, see what they do, chat with a friend over what we think or how good we think they are, so on and so forth it's, it's, at least to me it's just fun and if it happens to help i guess improve like early gameplay like cool but at least on that note i guess kind of going back from when i used to play like hearthstone arena a lot just the data collection that could happen in that game was pretty incredible just in terms of looking like i guess how often a card gets picked relative to other cards you know like actually like evil ratings on a card by card basis for decisions just completely just so much info definitely like, in part, and in part stone, yes in the, yeah like in that regard like on the one hand it can definitely help you a ton and just in terms of you know deck building and then potentially deck playing in the future but also to a, to a degree it takes away some of the magic if you're you know, going just purely off of like Elo community rank- rankings or whatever, and saying like, "Oh, what do I take out of you know this pool of options?" Oh, it's just this one. This one's just better numerically. Do it. Like that's just not as interesting. It's, it's, it's not as practical either. Very mechanical. Yeah. I, like with the things that you're talking about, like for instance, like an overlay in Hearthstone or Magic: The Gathering that gives you Elo ratings on cards. I've used those in the past, and even as like a relatively successful limited player in both of those games, it it actually is 
more it does more harm for me to see which card is technically the best in the pack consistently because I mean yeah. the whole goal of drafting and seal as well is not to pick the best card every time you're building a deck yeah. you know you're not yeah, just picking cards, you're building a deck and I found that using those overlays where they give you the, the static rating of how it how it is supposed to perform I have much worse results if I just follow those than if I just turn them off mm-hmm. and do it myself <laughs> yeah yeah like it absolutely gets to that point just because they do tend to by nature underrate a like synergy just specific interaction stuff like that mm-hmm not to knock anyone that's developing them, because I think they're rad oh, yeah. and they're a great tool for someone that doesn't really. Because if you're someone that isn't very experienced in a limited environment, and they do a great job of getting your foot in the door. For sure, gives you an idea of what's good. That type what, of deep thought. Yeah, and I think they're good to. Um, you know, Shab has been writing a lot of articles for Eternal, and one of his articles uh, that his he wrote was "Be Boring." Um, which yes. he also released as an audio, uh, an audio version, which we we put into this podcast feed. So please listen to that if you haven't, because um, it was he did a really great job with it. A thing like those overlays can really help you draft boring but good decks. And so when you're like Tyler and you're like fighting for the number one slot, they're not going to be sufficient. But if you're trying to like learn how to build a deck that you know build decks that can get you into masters you know they're good for helping with the you know as long as you're using them with like keeping a curve in mind you know they're they're helpful for putting good cards in your deck and then as long as you're sort of doing the rest of making sure you have enough two drops and enough three drops and enough interaction you know, you're going to get a playable deck that'll win some games, which I think is also important. And it helps build up sort of your innate sense of of sort of card and card evaluation and figuring out how all these cards fit together, which is just something that takes time. And so a tool like that can, I think, yeah. hopefully help speed up that process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good stepping stone to have to building good fundamentals. Yeah. In the, in the beginning, learning how to play limited is such it's such a thing to tackle. It, it's it's not easy. Limited is the skill set takes years to develop. Uh, at least that's how I yeah, feel. Absolutely. No, I agree. Yeah, I was going to say at least I, for me when I. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you you can go. Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, at least when I first started playing Limited uh, several years ago, I guess the first instance of me doing that in MTG was Cons of, Cartier, or Cons of Tarkir was the set. I was horrendous at drafting that set. Just, just my decks were just horrid, <laughs> and I did not play them well either. But I eventually got better after several years. But yeah, Limited's great. I love it. Yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is all I think interest. Not related to sealed necessarily, but I do think just as a thing I've been feeling a lot recently is actually like sort of appreciating how much better I am at draft than I was when I started this podcast, and like 
Uh, I feel like a lot of this podcast journey for me has been, you know, because I've had, uh, you know, three co-hosts and a ton of guests on, and they've all been much better players than me. And I feel like a lot of just doing this podcast and talking to these people is like me trying to understand how they view draft and then feeling like I didn't get it. Like, you know, like I felt like I was doing all the fundamentals, but they were still seeing something that I just couldn't see. And, you know, and then, but then at, but then feeling like as you draft more and talk about it more and just sort of like inundate yourself with just more information, like I, I feel like I'm now starting to see, you know, like even like with my card of the week and lightning strike, like, you know, at one point in your journey to get better at drafting or just card games in general, like you lose and then you just blame it on bad, bad luck. You know, I'm like in my game against (laughs) Tyler, like I could have lost that game and just been like, well, he did go siphon or paladin into siphon or paladin, and that's really hard to beat. Yeah. Um, Why didn't I just draw my bomb where? You know. Um, but then, like being able to see, like, oh, actually, it was because I played lightning strike incorrectly is the way I is the way I lost is the reason I lost that game, um, or almost lost that game in this case. But like, you know, I think that's part of this journey to get better at draft is like. I'm now at a place where I can actually like finally start seeing the mistakes I'm making in draft, which will hopefully then let me get to that next level where I stop making the mistakes quite as much. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, that's one of the best parts of draft for me is just like being able to like look back and just now understand all the things I just didn't understand a year ago. It's, def- it's definitely a process. It's like, this is kind of a vague analogy to understand how to fix problems, but there, someone once said this to me. It's like, someone comes up to you and is like, hey, look, I found this uh, this yellow block. And you're like, no, that's green. And then the next day, they come back to you and they're like, hey, I found the yellow block. And you're like, no, dude, that's, that's a green block. You know, may take like four or five, six more blocks, but eventually they're going to be like, hey, check it out, green block. And you're like, nice, did it. That's kind of like the process of understanding why things are correct and why they're not. Because yeah, he the dude kept finding a block, but didn't didn't see it correctly. Like in the instance of lightning strike, you knew to pick a good card, you know, you knew to play it at the right turn, but it you made like a slight error that could have cost. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't yellow, or it was yellow, but it wasn't green. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys, but it does to me. Yeah, being able to identify victories or losses by inches by like the slightest of details is just a really great skill to have because it just helps you improve exactly and i think that you know goes on to everything it's like even with card evaluation being able to start seeing like just what makes a synergy even beyond oh this card has life and this card gains life but then start to be able to see like oh actually you know i kind of need two of these life gain cards or or whatever or like 
oh, these cards look like they synergize, but they're so off curve from each other that they don't actually synergize. There's just like so much to think about beyond the basics um, that it's very deep, but to bring this, I guess, back to reality is like, um, you know, the basics are very important still. And I think, you know, like the things we were talking about in this episode are, you know, like what you need to just like start making a functional sealed deck. And that will get you a long way beyond just like, will sort of get you started on this journey of becoming a better and better limited player. A couple other questions I had is, so do you guys um, play your sealed decks every single week, sort of time permitting, or do you ever do like strategic skipping of weeks because you felt like your pool wasn't there or, or things like that. Because like, as we said in the beginning, you know, even if you join in week four, you're still allowed to complete all your games. So for me, as now that I'm doing the streaming thing, I have a set day. So I play mine every week, but before this, Mondays, I, I, right? Huh? But before this, it's sealed Mondays, right? Yeah, sealed Mondays. Monday's a sealed day. It's either good or it's bad. Um, but in previous months, yeah, man, all, all, there's always an assessment. Like some months I wouldn't play the week four because I feel like the criteria aren't met. And then some weeks I have a completely functional deck week one, and I play every single week. Um, like I, I have a good example of where I made the wrong I made the wrong choice, and <laughs> when I played my games, so. I think it was two months ago. I'm not sure what month it was, but it was in the previous leagues. I opened my first eight packs, and six of the eight rares were fire cards. Right, So obviously, I'm like, wow, this is a crazy concentration. And I built my decks, and I couldn't find a perfect deck. But I thought, I thought that maybe I thought maybe I should just wait and build Mono Fire and play Mono Fire you know, for Sealed, which Mono and Sealed is uncommon. Um, but I played week one, I, I, and I did fairly well. I went like seven and three. And then the, the next week, so it, within those rares, I had um, Siege Train is one of my rares. And I, two of the other rares were Fire Dragons, but I can't remember what their names are offhand. Um, but one of them was a 4-3 flyer where you draw a card, you make a 2-2. Two, two. Um, tattoo anyway, Dragon. Oh, Tattoo Dragon, had, yeah. It also has Pledge. Tattoo Dragon. Very good card insane i had like the bet the best right and i was like okay we did all right you know i expected to, i expected to do better but seven and three serviceable that's cool week two i opened i opened a second seed strain and i'm <laughs> like what the what is going on what is going on uh, uh, so halfway to the place that yeah, yeah 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 it was it was ridiculous and i wish i could just i wish i would have saved the pool to show people but that week I went five and five, and you can imagine I was very angry because, for whatever reason, card games just get under my skin like crazy, and it doesn't carry over to the rest of my life. It's just like when I'm playing, when I'm done playing, I can step away, and any anger or frustration I have is gone. Doesn't matter. But when I'm so I went five and five, and I was very angry, and that's when I made the, the decision to say, okay, I will not play until week four, and I will be mono red. 
And <laughs> week four came along. I built a mono red deck, and I went 19-1. and one. So uh, that's beautiful. a perfect example of where I had so many red cards that were powerful that I should have waited till the very last week and just built mono red. And I, I'm very positive I would have probably went like 35-5 and five or better if I had waited, just because the, the, the power level was insane, and, and I just needed to fill in the slots. And I was so eager to play with two seed strains that I just couldn't wait, basically. So I definitely think yeah. it, it is a good idea in some circumstances to wait till later weeks. But if you think your deck is whole, play week by week. Yeah, I think that's definitely just great advice on when to play your ceiling. Because at least for me, generally, what I go off of is how confident or how confident not uh, losing to itself. You know, that's a component. How do I think the removal is? Because at least to me, removal and sealed is very, very nice to have because it insulates you from whomever is, you know, playing the Grodoff Strangers of the sets or whatever. You know, it helps you not lose the bombs. Is you know, right. like, yeah, you can play like a Black Sky Harbinger or whatever, but if I Grizzly Contest it just immediately after and... Like, it didn't wipe my board or whatever, you know? Like, I could still win that game. Yeah, you played a very, very good card, but if I took it off the table, you know, it's, it's, we still got a game here. Yeah. Hard removal is arguably more important in sealed than it is in draft because just at a bare minimum in draft, you know, week one, of any given person sees eight rares. Whereas in draft, yeah. you know, your minimum rares you see is four. So when you yeah. double that, it's more likely that people will be playing rares or, like, super high... Um, power level cards so hard like i say hard hard removal is probably arguably more important than sealed it's important in draft but it's arguably more important in sealed because you know the off at the offering rate that's given people on average are going to be playing more rares because they'll give rare yeah it is i'd say generally a good assumption to play powerful cards and they have a wealth of opportunities to get powerful cards. Depending on the week you're at, they've opened eight or ten or twelve or fourteen, fourteen packs. That's a lot of opportunities to get, you know, powerful rares, legendaries, potentially even commons and uncommons. Like in the EOE set, you got stuff like Waystone Gate being around. That uh, since it draws up to three power over the course of a game and makes an eight eight relatively quickly. Yeah, that card seems good in sealed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I second that. Plus one. All right, so I was wondering, so do you think there's a way to talk about my sealed pool without going into too much depth, but kind of like use it as like a final practical example? I think I could do that. If if yeah. we just highlight the rares, we may have like, there's things to note with highlighting the rares because the rares that you open particularly is what made up my decision on what decks were powerful and what, what decks were not. So you opened from below... Master Conjurer, and Lord Ragnar, Ferno, Reborn, um, Makar's Stranger, and Tradition Chant. Oh, and one more. Uh, Strange Blacksmith. Oh, and Shrine of... Yeah. Er, wow, there's... I mean, how many times am I going to think I'm done? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was going to say... I didn't count eight there either. So yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm just hearing cards. Like I know they're in the pool because I saw the pool and whatnot. But like, 
So with those rares and going back on something I we talked about earlier, talking about sealed is the first impression is your rares. And on first impression, I look. That's exactly what I looked towards in these packs. Just at the images before I imported it, and you op- you were you were blessed with the opening Makar's Stranger, and that was the first thing I looked towards as I want to make this card work because at at worst it you play a four you play a five costing two shadow pip four two that draws you a card and gets rid of their removal spell. So at worst it's a two for one, at best yeah. And not even at best, but you know, at second to worst, it's a, it's a, you play your unit, you draw a card off the top of their deck, you attack, you kill their unit, and then you trade with one of their units. So at worst, I mean, at, at like second worst, it is a four for one, which is insane. And that's that was my starting point for your sealed is, since I have the knowledge to know that that card is so powerful, I wanted to look at all options to facilitate that specific card. Um, the second thing I looked towards in this pool is the Shrine of Caravet. So I won't be an advocate to say that this is the best limited card, limited card in the world, <laughs> or even remotely like that awesome. But it's something that I personally enjoy playing. So it, as soon as I saw Makar Stranger um, Shrine of to Caravet, I was like, okay, I'm building this deck. Because if this was my pool and I opened those two rares. I would play that deck regardless of what the best deck is because that seems fun to me. <laughs> and that's, I guess that's a minor note on sealed, but yeah, that is very much a thing that I enjoy about sealed. Just you get to play fun stuff. Yeah. Like have and fun. <laughs> then looking over the cards. Um, so to go alongside your Macar stranger, just, I know the I know the listeners do not have the pool, but within the pool there's two forms of recursion. So any in draft as sealed as well, when you have something that is extremely balmy like Makar Stranger, um, any card like Dark Return, Triumphant Return, anything that returns a card from your yard that can effectively be a second card or copy of your extremely powerful card goes way up in value. And I noticed that you had two of those in your pool. So I was like, okay, I'm going to play both of these cards to effectively make this pool have three copies of Makar Stranger. And that was my starting point, and I pretty much just filled in the gaps from there. Yeah. At least on the note of uh, recursion, it's very similar to, I guess, a theory that you had been acted upon to great effect back in the uh, set one drafts. Just Dark Return is a powerful card. Make use of it. Just because it makes threats that your, your opponent had once killed more threatening also just by virtue of letting you play, you know, a threat over and over. And I think that's just a very powerful thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And yes. So this kind of leads me, I think that was a really great overview of, of how to look at a pool. Uh, maybe this is too specific, but um, you know, when you talked about trying to carve it in, in my pool, um, you know, my main way of sacrificing is I have one kindling carver. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, so, you have one repeat sack engine as well as some cards that happen to make use of the corrupted mechanic, is at least what I saw. 
Yes, and I, I, I do have a couple corrupted units, so I guess you can, um, yeah, you can sacrifice your corrupted unit. As well as overheating mini bot. Yep. As well as overheating mini bot. Absolutely. I'm oh, yeah. expecting like mana. Okay, I'm just reaching for it. I like playing this card. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. No. I See, mean, now I, you're I, I respect it. Me. I guess yeah. that was one of my one of my questions was, you know, I looking at my pool initially because I was also attracted to the shrine to carve it, but I was like, I have a ton of sack outlets, and so like in my draft deck, I would I would not play shine to carve it in this deck necessarily but i guess i was wondering is it be, is one of the reasons because sealed is slower that you feel like you sort of need less less fewer of the synergy cards to make a synergy work or would you put this all just on your love of shine to carve it uh, um yeah i mean I might be pushing the justification a little bit because I like that as a fun card. Um, but it, if I was trying to take a if I was trying to take a Shrine deck very seriously in a draft environment, I would want more sources than this for sure. If I was like, if I wasn't just I'm playing Caravet no matter what, I, if I had it and I was being an had an honest evaluation, yeah, I would want like a good at least six at least six sacrifice outlets or two carvers, two kindling carvers as a consistent sack outlet. And then uh, one other question that I had sort of about this sealed pool and sealed pools in general, like one of the things that I feel like a weakness with my pool, I, I do have some pretty good cards. Like you said, I did open a Makar Stranger, but I feel like my pool's lacking in interaction and removal. Like um, something I noticed making decks yeah so like in the fire and shadow like what we've been talking about is a possible base for my pool um you know if i you add time to that i have the display of destruction uh, which is the fire time shadow display that one of its modes is deal three damage gain three life i have a chemical rounds but that's about it um besides for uh Fury Blade, um, and, or some weapons like a Fury Blade. Uh, do I have an Assault back, Shield? Yeah, a Fury Blade and an yeah, assault, assault Shield. Assault Shield and Backbreaker. And then I do have a Backbreaker, and I noticed that both of you put Backbreaker in your decks with no justice. So yeah. is, that a, is that like a compromise you're making just because we are so removal light in the deck. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, that was basically my logic for Backbreaker as a bigger Magma Javelin. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a, another interesting thing is like one of the things with Sealed, because like we're saying, it's a, you know, it's more like a puzzle and you gotta, you gotta build it with the pieces you have. And so sometimes... You know, you might have to do things like not use backbreaker to its fullest potential because you just you just need something in the deck you have. Mm -hmm. As compared to looking at backbreaker and trying to force an Argent Port deck. 
you know, realize this can actually be a tool in a different color deck that's kind of going in a different direction. Um, yeah, so I think that was a great summary of sealed. Do um, either of you have anything else you'd like to comment on or talk about? I don't think we did a pretty good job of covering the fundamentals. I mean, just looking back, try to play your rares, try to play your powerful rares, try to yeah. prioritize, try to prioritize, you know, early curve two and three drops. Yeah. Um, don't, don't entertain a splash if you don't have fixing. Yeah. Don't, it's a simple deck and expect to get there. It won't work. If you, if you can facilitate a splash in your deck, you should do it and make sure and going back to something else we covered, make sure you're not trying to do anything too crazy. Just try to make sure everything in your deck points to a centralized game plan. If you make the strongest deck you can make that is all looking the same direction, you'll probably start finding better results. And that's just pretty much all I have to say about that. Cool. So I, I guess we'll end our show there. So first off, thank you, uh, Tyler and Beard Broken, for coming on the show. This was, I think really great uh sort of content dense show so i thought this went really awesomely so thank you so much yeah. okay, thank you thank you for providing this yeah. again yeah. thank you for having me and yeah this podcast has been great and great or great just on a uh entertainment front and also just on an information front yeah i really appreciate it and uh Thanks again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send all your seven-win deck lists, not as screenshots, but as exported deck lists you do this week, to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Have a good night. See ya. Yep. Peace. Cool. Okay, so now so now practically speaking, what deck should I play? <laughs> okay, so I'll be I'll I'll tell you uh, my, I can tell you between my two decks which one I think is best. And I think it's the first one, right? So in my opinion, I think that's the strongest deck because uh-huh. You have a very light. I have a very light splash. You're only splashing three cards. You're splashing display, you're, which is also a sacrifice outlet, as well as an enabler to go wide for shrine. You're splashing yeah. stage and turn back time, and you have a light splash, so you're less likely to stumble on your resources. Um, right. I think that there is some weak spots. So you're playing some crappy units like Cookmaster, like um, you're playing yeah, some yeah. Weak units. But this is that's the deck that I would play because I want to play Backbreaker. I want to play Makar Stranger. But I think the second deck, the Tradition deck, is realistically the best deck in your pool. To be honest, because it covers a lot of, it checks off a lot of things. It has removal. It has interaction. It has card advantage. It has a very powerful. Sorcerer's Wand is a hell of a card. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is the best deck in your pool, but it's not the deck that I would play because I want to play these other cards. This, it, but as a general rule, this covers your curve, this covers your removal, this covers your card advantage, this covers your win conditions. It has a, it has okay fixing. Um, I think that's the best deck, but I would play the first deck because it looks so much more fun. Right. <laughs> of, of my decks and the third, the third deck, 
just to say another little piece. If, if Makar Stranger wasn't double pip, if Makar Stranger wasn't like two pips, two shadow, this would be your best deck. But, but yeah, super, I think I definitely agree on that. It's super hard to splash. It's super hard to splash, and it's unrealistic to splash a double shadow card, even given you have a shadow symbol. Yeah. Um, your Tom shadow, shadow symbol plus valley is just not really enough. Yeah. You're, you're playing more shadow than you're making your the rest of your curve just in terms of power development yeah for sure for sure your tom is very strong and your shadow is yeah. not very your shadow in, in realistically is not very deep but your tom but, is very yeah strong yeah just kind of the awkward case of the shadow is it has some good cards to splash like uh, triumphant return but it's short on removal and uh it's uh it's unit base is pretty light in quality and just curve out just awkward Yes. Yeah, you... I agree. Um, I'm looking at your film deck here. I haven't really. I didn't spend that much time on film. I technically spent time on film. It's pretty dubious. If you take a look at the last entry I put in, it is it is complete hot nonsense because I saw you had a ton of fixing. So I went, you know, let's push this to just the absolute maximum to see what it looks like now and then see with later packs if it gets better. Mm-hmm. Like what I, my, the bottom one, it's literally a five faction felon deck that's yeah, that. three factions for Sorcerer's Wand and other stuff and it's just complete nonsense, but it's at least funny from a theory perspective. Yeah. yeah it could work, maybe. You, yeah. you played all the fixing and splashed everything. <laughs> that's funny. Well, I mean, that's what I kind of... That was, like, what my second deck... Well, it was not quite that extreme, but went with, like, the (laughs) Felm splashing time for, like, the cards we kind of talked about, the Sage of Sands and the Turn Back Time. Mm -hmm. And and I also feel like my Primal cards are pretty good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I did did like the look of Primal overall, probably because Sorcerer's Wand and some stuff like Acrid Scorpion, Brood of Aramod, Biting Winds... That, that's kind of why I say that the tradition deck that I build is probably the best deck because really it's an Elysian deck splashing two cards. It's an Elysian deck splashing an orc official as a win condition, and that isn't entirely necessary, but it's an easy splash and it, it's still impactful yeah. if you play late in the game. Right. And splashing Sorcerer's Wand, which, you know, Sorcerer's Wand can win you a game. All the card oh, advantage. Constantly not locking stuff down, drawing cards, anth- anthemming your board. Um, and I've got the Majestic Skies in there mm-hmm. just to get it in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Skies looks... It has reasonable... Tar- it has acceptable reasonable tar- for... Yeah. You have you have a fair card. number of flyers, and then it also just eventually tutors for whatever your best flyer in a situation is, which is useful. Just a bit of value, you know? Mm-hmm. And you have, like, you have nests... You have Hungbug Nest, you have Prowler as your in-game tutor, if, should you need it. Um, tornado on blocks, I guess flashing in 3-4 uh, is pretty good. You have Matt, you get to play Max Stranger. Also something else worth noting that I didn't go towards in your pool, but I think maybe there is, you do have, what is it, Creation, Fire Time, Justice? You have like the Creation Stranger trio. With Covetous Stranger, Mag Stranger, and uh, Steely, you have one. Yeah. 
you could also build some kind of hope you nut draw them kind of deck that's <laughs> proactive. Right. I looked towards that as well, but I didn't build a deck for it. Yeah, that was kind of like uh, my f- uh, first deck. Uh, did I put it? No, maybe I cut it. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that it has a Covetous Stranger and a Mag Stranger made me... And I have two Praxis Vows. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm made me really want to do something in um yeah it's kind of yeah i thought this was kind of an interesting pool because there's just like it's pulling you in a lot of different directions because i felt like yeah my good cards and then my like quote-unquote bombs like makar stranger or uh whatever what's it called from below or from beyond are in just like totally opposite from below or totally opposite colors from like yeah yeah from from my fixing and from early drops but i don't know yeah it's your deck one is pretty much where my first build started i was looking at this three faction split because that's the traditional colors for a shrine deck and constructed that's where i started and then i decided which which way i should go and pretty much ultimately, the, what made me decide is that Makar Stranger is so hard to splash that it has to be, it has to be that way. And Kindling Carver, like this is this is one of those cards in the community that people debate whether it's good or it's bad. But I think it's good, man. It works for me. It lets me it lets me draw so many cards. It lets me draw out of games I can't win. Yeah, I will me, say. I rank it as. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, I will say. Kindling Carver is like a weak spot for me. So like what I, how I tend to use it is like drawing cards into like I draw myself out of games with Kindling Carver. <laughs> By eating too eating too many things. Yeah. Yeah. Where I, I like have yeah. Something that is cards too- in hand and a single Kindling Carver on the board. And then my opponent has like or is attacking me with eight units, and I'm like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> Mistakes have been made." Yeah. Or you do it at the wrong time and discard your Lord Ragnar or some something like that. Like, oh crap! I hit the one six drop I have. I know. Yeah. yeah. Or minor like clerical mistakes where you accidentally play power prior to activating Carver and just oh I drew a power I could have played that. I've messed that up at least a hundred million in two times. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have. Something oh, yeah. I like about this this um when you're pretty evenly there, so there, there's perks and there's disadvantages to being the evenly split one Potomaro your first build here um, advantages is you get to play in generally in general more consistently high power level cards and you have the cool interaction of humbug nest and uh, display both making units for the shrine mm-hmm. if you were to play it yeah but I just you guys have watched me stream enough that you should know that I value consistency over everything. And though this is, has more powerful cards, I would be afraid that I wouldn't be able to hit my apprentice mage on two because I have equal, you know, an equal split between the, the the three factions. And I don't know. I looked at this build and I just decided, for me personally, I would go for a. I would look at the two different options of 
of a focused color and then try to splash the third third. I don't I don't generally like to go evenly three colors unless my fixing is just godlike. Yeah. I mean I think looking at my deck compared to your two guys is a menace deck. Like like now I sort of wanna take like the lurking brute and maybe the Vorpal cutter out and add like another time or fire card, but like keep yeah, I was the gonna say realistically in my uh oh yeah sorry and keep keep the like the cultists and two faced as corrupted units that I don't necessarily mind playing late, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but still keep them because you know they do they are ways to trigger a shrine to carve it or um. Or, you know, give two targets for a kindling carver. Um, I don't know. It's also worth noting that sh- your shadow etchings probably won't work. I- I'm sure you just put that in there. Yeah. But you don't have enough shadow units to cast it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I know. I know. I just... <laughs> but, yeah, I just realized that I wish it worked. Because then that would be very cool to, to put things in the market, like... It would give you more building space, I think. I don't know, but going forward, your Tom is very powerful. Tom, Tom is yeah. a very... Tom and... Your Tom and Primal are your two strongest colors, which is awkward when you have Ragnar, Bakar, Stranger, Shrine. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like Thunder of Wings just being a solid uncommon, just three mana, four, one charger if you have a unit out. Yeah, Dancing Flame playing well with Recursion, Battle Driver. So, like, there's a lot of stuff in this pool that's cool and powerful. You'll definitely have some games if you if you choose to play a build that has Thunderwings in it, where you just play two drop on two on the play, and then Thunderwings on three, and you just cheese cheese the game. Like, there's going to be a certain number of games you just cheese them with Thunderwings on three. Yeah, probably. Right. No, Having a triumphant return with it helps. <laughs> I do. I really make a six-three flyer if they kill it. I think your tradition deck's the best. I think that's the best deck. <laughs> it, it's just all around checks all the boxes. Doesn't play your awesome cards. So if you want to go for fun, play play the play one of these other decks. But if you think you want to play the best deck, play play tradition or legion because that's where that's where your common and uncommon depth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just my, I, think, my I think I agree with that. Yeah, just it yeah, has better well, removal. Is my logic. What is. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Well, now this is making me think. Maybe uh, Genev. You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, fire time and with a splash of primal for like biting winds and. I don't know. I, I guess say, the I'm, problem is primal always is so like hard. That, but I could see that being plausible. I guess the downside is you do miss out on Sorquand with that kind of build, but you do get a bunch of pretty good red cards. Ragnar, Battle Driver to a degree. Yeah, and then Steam Rider gets a little better. Or yeah. Nuts, whatever it's called. Yeah, I guess I just don't want to... I, I love Battle Driver and Dancing Flame. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's a fun pool since it could potentially have like four to five like unique different decks yeah. just depending on what you get the next weeks yeah 
Yeah, which is actually where I'm worse somehow. at. I have yeah. trouble like erasing and then like starting from a blank slate. But uh which is why this episode was so hopeful. <laughs> no, so yeah. I need to get better Indeed. still. I'm I'm decent at sealed and I've got better since I started this game, but it's definitely a it's a learning curve. It's sealed is more it's different in this game than it is in Magic. Yeah, definitely. I felt very confident in Magic Sealed. I would always play sealed leagues or not leagues, but sealed events on Arena, just like for profit, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I was like successful on draft from the from the get go, but not successful in sealed from the get go. And I was like, crap, man, what what's what am I doing wrong? It's taking yeah. me a little, little time to accept this how you splash in this game and so forth, because it's a lot different in that regard as far as like playing a third color. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. big, on average, it tends to be easier just due to the way influence works relative to, you know, yeah. physical lands. I guess for sure, for sure, for sure. That's a hurdle that all Magic players coming through Eternal, I feel like, will probably have to get over is the like how commonly you should splash in this game opposed to Magic when you should almost never splash unless you're like a three color green deck or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But like we kind of talked about, it's like still every week it's or every month it's the same people doing really well in sealed. So it's definitely a skill. So mm-hmm. that. yeah, like even though yeah, there can be a lot of variance in terms of what you open. There's a lot of things you can do to, I guess, reduce the impact of that. Mm-hmm. What happens to me cool. almost every month is like I have three super good weeks and then i have one bad week it's like every time for some reason <laughs> every fucking time man <laughs> it's like it's like okay nine nine and one seven and three eight and two five and five or six like last month last month basically three of my weeks were decent and then one week i went like two and eight <laughs> i was just like <laughs> why why does this one week always have to like you know shit to bed or whatever yeah but, i know that's the last time i played sealed yeah. it was what happened is like week one, I just like opened a constructed stone scar aggro deck. Mm. And then it did great. And then week two, I got like a few more cards and it did great. And so it was like, I was something like really ridiculous. It was like 18 and two or 17. Something great. Yeah. So yeah. 17 yeah, and three something or something. Human, yeah. And then like week three, it was like my first three opponents just played like three or four opponents were all time-based decks and just put like giant blockers in front of me like every yeah. turn. Yeah. And I just like couldn't beat them. It was like Yeah, <laughs> yeah sometimes you hit the equivalent of Caravan Guard and yeah, that's what it felt like. And then I was like, thing. I guess all my <laughs> opponents are just going to be time. And I and I got so frustrated, especially because it was, I was like, it was the best I'd ever done at sealed. And it felt like, yeah, it was so frustrating. I was like, I don't want to, I don't even want to play anymore. I'm like, my poor deck is just. Rest, rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah, I was going to say, that could be something, I guess, to worry about with the, uh, like the Stone Scar Time Splash iteration decks, there's a chance you face like Caravan Guard and Caravan Guard to Caravan Guard or something, and you didn't draw your uh, your top ends, so they eventually kill you in some manner. 
that's a potential thing that could happen because like the aggressive twos and threes don't necessarily get through that stuff but that's just kind of what the pool is like at the moment right yeah i agree and that's the nice thing the primal at least has a few flyers and stuff to yeah to try to win that way yeah you're that that pool that deck is like the game plan is like slow 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 the game down stop playing car you know slow it down and then maybe maybe went to advantage or with any any given flyer i don't know yeah. i would i would always could play be flyer chip damage wand just pushing advantage maybe some type of outmaneuvering in terms of just opponent's resources with stuff like biting winds and disappear mm-hmm. definitely something i forgot to say on the like during the uh, recording was just it's sealed is cool in the sense that like you get you you get your deck right. This is your deck, and it's not just like here. I had my deck for three hours or two hours or one hour. It's like you have your deck, and you you have like your relationship with that deck and that pool for a whole month, and that's cool. You know that's something that's unique about the league is you have your deck, your pool, and it's yours. You know it's no one else's for a whole month. That's cool. Whereas draft, you don't get that. It's just like turn them over, turn them over, turn them over. Yeah. You get like you get like ten games at max or nine games at max with with a given draft. Right. And you know, like that's that's best case scenario is one way to put it, or near best case scenario, depending on depending on your perspective on that <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Well, I might actually just snip this whole thing this whole post podcast and then post it with uh pictures of all our decks and stuff so if people want to kind of follow along and get more conversation they can sure sounds cool to me yeah well yeah thanks thanks again for coming on i'll see you guys around in uh either on twitch or in discord and i I really do appreciate you taking the time it's uh also, man, here. it's been a blast. I uh, I didn't realize till like a week ago that you guys were doing an aggregate um, database with the decks. So I was just putting screenshots in there, and I was only contributing the decks that I felt were interesting. But now that I know that it's for a database, I'll put all my decks in there. I just didn't know that. That's I thought that was just like a thing people did to be like, hey, look at my cool deck. Let's talk about it. Not an informational thing. I just was unaware of it <laughs> for some reason. That's why I was just posting screenshots, but yeah. yeah, I'll definitely be adding all my all my decks to your to your guys' uh, seven wins from now on with list yeah. with list because now I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just I, I like mostly said the, that at uh, the end. Is Tyler uh, floodgates <laughs> of uh, seven win uh, splendors <laughs> should be fun. I hope. Yeah, I saw I saw that little jab at the end that was like not just a screenshot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well done. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it was just kind of, I mean, I started that originally just as like, sort of like you were saying, not even planning to do anything with it, but just as like a fun community building exercise. Cause sure. team building. I, I figured with the, being a, a podcast, this is like before we had a discord or anything, it was just like a way, you know, cause people, you know, part of being in a small game. It's like why doing this podcast is fun. It's like people just really want to talk about Eternal because they often don't have anyone to talk to about it. And so, <laughs> yeah. 
like in the beginning of the podcast, people would just send like pages long emails, just like talking about their deck and stuff like that. And um, so it's just kind of like a fun way to get involvement. And then we kind of turned it into something slightly more serious. But all right, well, I'm going to head to bed. Um, but thanks. Thanks again for taking the time to do this.